When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Ninja Turtle Power Hour. I'm Spencer Toon. I'm Keith McGuffey. And I'm Mike Templeton. And this week, we're going to be covering the Shredder Returns arc. That's oh, issue, yeah. Leonardo issue 1, issue 10, and issue 11 from volume 1 of the Mirage series. And boy, oh boy. Yeah, wow. Yeah. I... I, I knew some of the things in this in this arc, but I didn't know. I like I I had never read this arc. Yeah. So this this was actually a lot of fun, and I I couldn't put it down. I gotta admit, mm-hmm. this is, this is the first like Mirage story that we've done so far that I was just like I gotta keep going. Yeah, this is definitely this could be peak Mirage. Like this is like Leonardo is like Leonardo number one is definitely like. We'll get into it, but it's it's Kevin yeah. Eastman at like some of his best layout work. Yeah, and like and we talked about it before, like how they they were kind of finding their stride. Mm-hmm. Like this, this is definitely where they hit it. Yeah, yeah. This is like the synthesis of like three years of storytelling and and trying different art styles and whatnot, just mm-hmm. coming together. In one everything coalesced in these issues. Oh, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these these could... so so good that I feel like they just when they were going to producers, they were like, "Hey, here," <laughs> and yeah. then that's how the nineteen ninety movie got yeah. made. Make yeah. this a movie. Make this a movie. <laughs> yeah, well, I think some of it is the fact that uh, that what's his face, Steve Barron, also just like was actually really kind to them as creators, which apparently wasn't very common in Hollywood, and uh, you know actually wanted to bring what he could from their comic books in and so oh, that's cool yeah he, he found it, i think it's in turtle power maybe that they talk about it but he straight up would found like you know scenes from the comic book where he's like this is a movie scene right here like this will work and you know yeah. he just put up put them up almost as storyboards on the wall pages from the mm-hmm. comic uh nah so that i mean that's definitely one of those big things that still like why i have some respect for the 1990 movie even if I sometimes struggle to enjoy it, is just oh, how man. much it took. I wanted books. to put it on after I read these. Yeah, no, no like, like I'm probably gonna put it on after we're done recording because it's just like I'm, I'm, I'm amped. Yeah, no, the story <laughs> beats that it takes from the comic book are when I can really feel it in the movie is when I watch it as well. Like those are the best parts of the movie is what they took from the comic book. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, right, well, let's stop gabbing about it and let's tell a story. The Ancient One did tell me a story I think you guys would want to hear. About Master Splinter's master, Hamato Yoshi. Now let's hear it! 
So Leonardo number one uh, released in December 1986 called What Goes Around Comes Around. The story opens with Leonardo alone on the rooftops of New York City. We quickly find out that he's being pursued by numerous foot soldiers. Leo battles countless foes as he tries to make it to safety. The portion of Leo's tail has no word balloons and practically no sound effects, which I thought was really neat. As Leo battles his enemies, we, come, we cut to April, Mikey, Dawn, and Wrath, and Splinter making you know, preparations for Christmas. Mikey wonders where Leo is because they're all warm and happy, but Leo's still out there in the snowy New York weather. And April and Raph uh, bring home a Christmas tree, and Mike and Splinter are preparing a, a mere, uh, their Christmas meal. Raph goes off to go uh, wrap gifts, and Mikey yells at him to not go into his room because his uh, gift hasn't been wrapped yet, where uh, Raph gets attacked by Mikey's attack cat, Clunk, who we met back in Michelangelo number one. Everyone's enjoying a good time, and Raph finally decides that, like, hey, we should probably go out and look for Leo. And then as the weather gets uh, really bad, uh, Leo gets thrown through a roof. Or through the Things take a turn for the worse, where Leo gets thrown through the sunlight in their house, or in April's apartment, and just comes crashing down. He's All the foot soldiers have kind of gathered around the, the building, and Leo utters just, he's back. The Shredder. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, what a cliffhanger. It was, you know, it was a short and sweet uh, comic book. Yeah, well, it's not even that it was that short. It's just the fact there's no dialogue, hardly any dialogue. It, it moved, I mean, that's what made it move so fast. And I kind of cut mm. out, you know, a lot of the Leo stuff because it, it's just Leo running from scene to scene, dodging foot soldiers and the foot elite were there too. And it was like, it was really cool. Yeah. Well, it's not even just dodging it. It turns into him chasing him down. Yeah. Which Sorry, is, I, I skipped that part. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, one of those insights into Leonardo's character of, uh, anyway, we'll get to that a second time yeah. around, but a little, little game of <clears throat> cats and also cats going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, next story I've got here uh, was released in April of 1987. Uh, it's issue number 10. So, after standing around in disbelief of Leo's words, the foot crashes in through the windows of April's apartment. The goal of our favorite family of heroes is now to get Leo out and to escape because, you know, they've got him injured and they've also got April who doesn't really know how to fight. And so they've got to get out. There's, there's no way around it. And they can't go out through the windows. So they fight their way out of the room and leave Raph to pick off stragglers. The only exit is downstairs through the junk shop. So after luring out some hidden foes from underneath the stairs, they're able to make it down the stairs. And then they're rejoined by Raph before they open the door and flip on the light to see the Shredder and company waiting for them but before the buy fight can completely break out casey jones makes a dramatic entrance and also joins in and an amazing fight takes place and in this fight casey gets a pretty good hit on the shredder a bomb lights the place on fire and april takes everyone to a hole in the back wall that was never fixed by her father to be able to get out and escape the cops show up and so Shredder and his ninjas all have to leave and escape and get away from their view. And then we see the turtles 
uh, get out and drive off to Northampton. I feel very fortunate that I have the first publishing reprints of this of this comic because wow. all three of these stories are in one book, so I can sit and read them in one go. I couldn't imagine waiting from December for Leonardo number one till April. Yeah, issue ten. Like, yeah, that, that, sounds... that was just wild. How how long these stories uh, are apart from? Yeah, could like, you I, imagine? I know I complain about the gap between uh, the last Ronin issues, but but man, that seems like nothing compared to this. <laughs> I mean, All right. the Shredder is back. Yeah. Like after three years of Ninja Turtles existing, the Shredder's back. And then you have to wait four months to actually see him. Like, well, not maybe not actually see him, but to, for, to see how this all concludes. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, so well, I, I'm bringing up the rear here. I've got TMNT number 11. This is called True Stories, published in June 1987 by Eastman Laird. So this issue starts in Northampton with April having nightmares about Shredder and the foot finding and attacking her. She starts a journal and the rest of this issue is framed by April's journal entries where she details how they arrived at Casey's grandma's abandoned farm and how each turtle is dealing with their defeat. So Leo's become obsessed with the woods surrounding the farm where he's unsuccessfully hunting a deer with a bow and arrow. Donatello is busying himself with all the maintenance needed around the farm. He's also found a typewriter in the attic and is working on some writing himself. Michelangelo worries April the most. He doesn't laugh anymore and has cleared out a part of the barn as a workout space. We see him training excessively hard. He kind of is like foaming at the mouth before he starts punching a hole in the wall of the barn. April says Raphael scares her the most. He doesn't sleep much. He's spending all of his night keeping watch over the farm. Casey's spending all of his daytime hours with Raphael. We see them working on fixing up an old pickup truck. So one day it's, it's getting to be spring and April is walking on a frozen lake and the ice breaks. Luckily, Leo is nearby and saves April. While she's recovering, Splinter decides it's time for the group to rebuild their spirit and takes the turtles out for exercises. Their spirits restored, Splinter tells them that something still lingers. April has accepted the turtles into, their, into her life and accepted the consequences of that choice. The turtles wake her up early the next morning for breakfast and bed. The end. Ah. Another just fantastic issue, but for completely different reasons than the previous two. But we'll get into it all after revisiting some things in the second time around. After these commercial messages. Do you like only the egg whites? Sorry, we, should, we shouldn't do fake commercials. On that. I've always anything. wanted to do fake commercials in a podcast. Same, yeah. Hey, nice junk. Something about Leonardo 1 that I kind of noticed is how well it actually, we actually get a, a good peer into a good view of Leonardo's personality. Just, yeah. you know, the absolute confidence, maybe possibly borderline like overconfidence in him chasing down the foot ninja. Like he doesn't just fight off the ones that attack him. He gives mm-hmm. chase and he, he runs headlong into what's essentially a trap. But it's because he's that confident that he can uh, be able to take him down. Yeah, I never got the sense that he was like trying to fight them to get home. Mm-hmm. I always thought he was trying to lead them farther away from April's. And that's kind of why he was chasing them down and really giving it to him. You know, that could be it, too. That is another that's a take I've never thought about. 
which again, like that's, that's perfect. Leo sacrificing himself to, to save everybody else, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, you have the, the turtles at home mentioning that he's Mr. Perfect, that he can take care of himself. Yeah. You know, he's definitely the most skilled and the one that they worry about the least because he's the one to shoulder the leadership and responsibility of the group. I like, too, this issue, like every page, the top three quarters is Kevin Eastman doing the Leonardo story. And then the mm-hmm. bottom quarter is mm-hmm. just like them getting ready for Christmas. And it's all by Peter Laird. I think like it just works really well because they have different styles like Kevin Eastman's part is is shaded way more heavily. It's much more an action comic, whereas Peter Laird is kind of goofy. Uh, the turtles had those little like single dots for eyes in most uh, yeah. scenes and stuff. I, I think mm-hmm. it just works really well. If you're going to write like a thesis on comicsology or something like this, would be a good place to start because it's just such a such a good insight into like a collaborative process of storytelling. Yeah, uh, I was gonna say I, I mentioned it at the top. Like a lot, just a lot of these beats, like they this really sets up that all like the whole second half of the 1990 movie um it's just it's so good i didn't know i did it kind of clicked with that this story picks up directly after donatello number one because like raf was complaining about the hot water back in uh that issue and donatello fixes it in this one so I thought I thought it was I thought it was like a neat callback, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then we got it. We got another uh, Bloom County reference. Raph calls uh, Clunk Bill the Cat. Oh and yeah, then actually, and then he actually makes the Bill the Cat face, which yeah. was <laughs> which is pretty funny. Yeah. yeah, he says something about he was showing him his Bill the Bill the Cat impression impersonation, yep. and then he pulls it at the camera. <laughs> Uh, this is also the first appearance we get of the Foot Elite, or as they call it, sometimes Shredder's Elite. Yeah, and the, the first thing they do is just throw snowballs at, at Leo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, you, you know that, that 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 tripped me out for a second. I couldn't tell. Like I thought, I thought he was seeing things at first, and like I like it didn't it didn't it didn't click that they were the Foot Elite until um, until like the next couple panels where we actually see them. Like I, th- I thought Leo was hallucinating at some point. Mm. Yeah, it, it it's it kind of seems like maybe he's just like seeing bad guys everywhere just because he's under such attack. That, yeah. that that's that's yeah. where I thought it was going. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like I thought I thought Leo was kind of panicking, and I'll and I'll get into this in my anchovies. Um, but I I I thought it was going a different direction at first. He was just apparently really good at predicting things because even uh, Tom Waltz, it's why I'm so excited to see the notes for the last Ronin. Mm-hmm. He has predictions for the future that like Tom Waltz said is like almost scarily accurate. And I, I can't wait to read what he has to, what he had to say. So issue 10, there is scenes from the nineties movies. Like I mentioned before that like yeah. are ripped exactly from this book. Yeah. There's a part where Raph does the like jump and punch in one direction and kick in the other direction and hit two different foot soldiers. Yeah. It's it's in the movie briefly and it's it's a scene in this as well. I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah. Just the way all the ninjas like jump in through the windows and everything too is taken yeah. uh, exactly from the comic book over to the movie. 
it's a Raph and Leo's place instead, but nonetheless, the scene is, is very much set up the same. Yeah. So there's, there's that three page spread when you first see shredder. Uh-huh. There's a, there's a game under the table that's right in front of the turtles called toss across. Have you guys ever had a, a toss across? Is that like, uh, the- is that like a cornholer game? Kind of, but it's so it's like tic tac toe. Yeah, but you throw uh, beanbags yeah. at it. Yeah, you throw beanbags at it in hopes that it like spins to give you an extra. Note. Never heard it's, it called uh-huh. toss across though. Yeah, it, that's apparently what it is called, and I had one when I was when I was a kid, and it's a terrible game. So yeah, <laughs> no wonder it hasn't sold it the second time around yet. Yeah, we had one too. I think it was a hand me down from like my older siblings, but oh yeah, we also had one. You can also, in that two-page spread, you can actually see Casey. If you look like uh, right, it's like right between pages one and two. And if you're looking, if it's in a two-page spread, it's kind of like in the first third. But if you look at the very bottom, like near the clothing rack, mm. there's a little like lump that's the back of Casey's yeah. head covered with a sheet. I'd never <laughs> noticed that before, but I was huh. like, ah, good for them. Yeah, and then there's a... Uh... I don't know. I just think it's funny. There's a move where Donnie throws a foot ninja, like jabs him in the chest and like throws the foot ninja over his head, essentially with his bow staff. And he always does that in video games. It's a very common move that he pulls off in different digital video games. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, when he has the the staff, it's usually at the end of like a combo, but you know, he jabs him with the staff or an overhead throws him. I've never fought with a bow staff before, but I'm pretty sure that's the only way to knock someone out with a bow staff. <laughs> Just so jab them in the stomach and toss them over your head. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I've go. heard I've heard you can like go for the throat and like jab them in the throat with it. I mean, that sounds ah, pretty effective. I haven't heard that. I don't know, man. The style points, though. Yeah, the style <laughs> points for sure. Uh, we did get our Chet reference first one in a while. I missed this one. Where was it? Uh, on page 37 of the issue, uh, there was a truck labeled Chet Van Lines. <laughs> can be seen on the highway. Yeah, it's going the opposite direction. Yeah, when they're driving away. <laughs> There's also uh, Dooney's Pawn Shop next door to the second time around. Ooh, that I missed. Yeah, and in an earlier issue, I think it was the Halloween issue, that was Dooney's Yogurt Shop. So... He's gone from a yogurt shop to a pawn shop, and he owns a concrete company. He's he doing pretty he well. He owns the whole block. Yeah, probably. He's just a tycoon. <laughs> New York tycoon. Right. Uh, another thing, Gungala was, uh, according to Kevin Eastman in the Ultimate Collection uh, commentary he gives, Gungala was taken from a Tarzan TV show. Or something like that. It's a reference to Tarzan. Peter Laird believes it was taken from a different saying uh, that was a Tarzan. Well, it was something that was from the Tarzan comics that he would say sometimes. That means beware I kill. But Casey is technically saying it wrong. Oh. <laughs> I always wonder where that came from. I thought it was like a hockey thing. Maybe. I feel like we I talked about this before. We have. It's come yeah. up before. But this is the issue where there's actually commentary from them saying what it is. So mm-hmm. Kevin Eastman just says he thinks it came just straight out of a Tarzan TV show. Peter Laird says he thinks it's like Casey completely mispronouncing and saying something from the Tarzan comic books wrong that he mm-hmm. used to read. So that could very well be it. 
I imagine it is, but who knows? I also had to look up like I think Raphael calls the foot this, and then Shredder calls the turtles this. They say they're Gaijin, which yeah. apparently means like an outside person in Japanese, like a foreigner. Yeah, yeah, it essentially means foreigner. Yeah. Huh. There's a wow. YouTuber I follow calls himself Gaijin Goomba. <laughs> he's 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 a an expert on a lot of Japanese culture, and so that's that's where I really kind of heard it normalized. Yeah, I hadn't heard it until Ninja Turtles. I think it's I think it's half disparaging. Like it's not a nice term. Like it's it's not something you would say to somebody like um like formally. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I guess it makes sense since uh like they're only calling that they're only calling people that are trying to kill them that word. So Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> So something that issue eleven did is that I just that I noticed this time was just how much it fleshed out the characters, like it fleshed them out tremendously. Sometimes even better than their individual like micro series issues did. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, it made them like these three dimensional characters. Uh, you know, and it's one of those things that spoiler alert for the last Ronin, I guess, coming up. It's not that big of a spoiler anymore hopefully by the time you're listening to this, <laughs> that uh, it's not crazy, especially when you read this issue, to think that Michelangelo is the last Ronin. Yeah, I thought that, I, I was kind of like, oh, like you can kind of see where that idea would have come from here. Like, yeah, Mikey goes a little, little, little ham, as we mm-hmm. like to call it. Yeah, and is he it does real hard. Yeah. yeah, and without his family there to like, because that's kind of how everyone heals in the end is getting together as a family and like finally reconnecting with one another and embracing one another and moving forward. And without him having that, like, I feel like the last Ronin is really where it could take him. God, that is another thing they took for the movies, uh, for the, for the movies, the Mikey training scene. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was supposed to be in the movie. Yeah. And it's like, we only, get that one that one shot of him just punching something and that's directly from this issue man they really did just hand this to steve baron and we're like make this a movie yeah no issue (laughs) issue 11 is used very heavily in the movie and it's my favorite part of that movie i think that it's definitely the strongest part that uh makes that the i start feeling invested in the movie more than any other moment Mm. in the whole movie it did. It did trip me out though, because because again, my my reference for the, all of this is the movie. So, mm-hmm. having it be Casey's family farm, yeah, kind of threw me for a loop for a moment. Yeah, it is. It's Casey's late grandmother is what it says in this story. Yeah, which we uh, find out in this issue, uh, Casey's middle name is Bernard. And that's. That's contradictory to later issues, though. Apparently, it has yeah. been retconned out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now he's just Arnold Casey Jones. Yeah, but Bernard, like, that sounds like the middle name that would get a kid beat up. Like, you could imagine how he became such a tough guy. I, I mean, I, I can imagine Casey <laughs> being a kid that got beat up when he was younger. That's what I'm saying, yeah. <laughs> the one last thing that I have to add about this issue that's kind of uh, sad when you read it in the commentary is that, you know, these issues really mark when Eastman and Laird were, their relationship was starting to fray. 
you know, the action figures and the TV series was taking off. They were incredibly busy. And I, anyway, and so, you know, you start hearing about them talking about how there was a lot of creative differences and it was getting really hard for them to work together now. Yeah, this is like the last issue. I think they get together one more time for issue 50, but this is the last issue where they, yeah. they do their like old style of like one person drawing and both of them inking the same pages and really working together in that collaborative process. Like mm -hmm. they get together again for Return to New York, but like Jim Lawson does most of the art and then Peter Laird inks it. But this is like the, yeah, one of the last issues. Where of, they, one of the last times they work together. Yeah. They work together. Yeah. Yeah. So it is kind of, it's kind of sad. That is a bummer. Yeah. yeah. This doesn't feel like the send off they, they would have wanted had they known that, you know, but it is also like, like we said before, this is like their creativity together at its peak. True. Yeah. One of the other uh, things that Kevin uh, Kevin Eastman mentioned is the reason that the story just kind of spans so many months was so that the book could catch up to real time. So like, oh, really? Yeah. So it. I think it. I think it ended around May or June of like 1987 right. like they had been at Northampton for a, a long time and so like uh so it's to it's to kind of catch up because like they were still in like 1986 and they were kind of they were trying to push this forward yeah I think her last journal entry looks like it's May 1st I think this I said this came out in June so they, yeah they were trying to trying to get the book caught up to real time which I mean I I like I like that they were trying to do that. You know, um, it, it's interesting that they wanted to have the, the turtles. Like, it, it's it's interesting that they wanted to have this book set in real time, which makes it more interesting. Like in Volume Four, when they when the turtles come back and they're in their 30s now, so it's like real time has passed. Yeah, uh, my last thing, and I, I think I've mentioned this before, but in his notes for issue 11, and Peter Peter Larry confirmed this in one of his blasts from the past, number 709. It looks like uh, he did confirm that the guy that was smoking back in issue four and watching the turtles from across the street was Casey Jones, not some foot informant or whatever. Um, mm. He says uh, he's been asked several times in the last decade by turtle fans about the identity of the smoking person with the telescope pointed at April's apartment. Uh, but he never had a conclusive answer. Uh, but these notes confirm that originally it was supposed to be none other than Casey Jones. So there you go. Mystery solved. All right. And so now you know why he knew stuff was going down at April's apartment. Yep. Which it kind of illustrated. That's one of the things that the 1990 movie actually did better, in my opinion, is actually show that Casey Jones was uh, spying and saw that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's his, why he came over. With his AM radio and glass bottle Gatorade. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> All right, then. I think we're ready to move on to anchovies. No anchovies. You put anchovies on this thing and you're in big trouble, okay? I can't let you know. So we can just skip anchovies, right? Like we always Absolutely not. I'm, gonna, I'm here to lay down the truth. <laughs> I mean, my my complaints are very, very tiny, like teeny tiny. They don't actually hurt anything, and they're also very few. Okay. I mean, there I got very few, but it's it's a big one, and it's actually only really about the Leonardo issue. Mm. So like Take I mentioned, it's not a good issue about Leonardo. Oh. It's, 
this issue could have easily had just been TMNT number 10 and then we got 11 and 12. Like nothing it, it when you guys mentioned it when you were talking about it how we got insight into Leo uh, how he uh how he kind of operated and like how he was you know the cat is playing hunt the cat kind of thing like mm-hmm. I didn't get that from this. Oh, um, it it had a lot of that same issue that I didn't like with Last Ronin, where it was just he's just running the entire issue, and I think it would have been better if uh, Mikey and the, uh, Raph and Donnie were like telling April about Leo, like, and we saw Leo performing things that they were telling April about, like, oh, Leo's like a you know, a great tactician or something. Like they mentioned that. And then Leo does something really cool, like hides behind stuff so that the foot ninjas walk by and then he takes him out. Um, I just, I didn't get the sense that this had to be an issue about Leo. Like, whereas like Donnie, we got a little insight into him. Mikey's issue, we got insight into him. And, and Raph's like was a lot. Mm-hmm. Like this, this, is a good issue. It's just not a good issue about Leonardo. But yeah. other than that, that's it for me. The snowball thing is especially weird because like two pages later, he holds like a blanket or piece of cloth out on his sword and they throw a shuriken at it. So like clearly mm-hmm. they had shuriken on them, but they chose to start with snowballs. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Put the shuriken in the snowball. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the combination. Yeah. That's, you know, snowball shuriken. Yeah. Sounds like that, the name of like an ice powered martial arts <laughs> fighting character in a fighting game. Just snowball shuriken. <laughs> yeah. It's a total sub zero move. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, Honestly, I say, yeah, that is a sub zero move. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mike, I really want to read this issue that you've, you've created where Leo is hallucinating about being attacked by. Like I said, like I, said I, ju- I just think that's a more interesting direction. Yeah. My only thing I'm with not, that, I'm uh, not sad with what we got. Like I said, it just it just it's not a good issue about Leonardo. Like this didn't have to be the micro series. This could have easily had been issue ten. Yeah, I agree with that. It's tough too because like this came so late compared to Raphael. You know, like we we already knew stuff about Leo at this point. We didn't really know anything about Michelangelo or Raphael back when those issues came out. Yeah, and like this is when this issue came out in december 1986 so we're already two years into this franchise Mm -hmm. you know two and two and a half years my my one anchovy with this issue is there's a part where leo gets kicked through a fence and he falls into a construction site into like a puddle of snow and mud and then when he gets up like i understand what they're trying to portray that he's covered in like dirt and grime and stuff but he just looks like he's melting it looks really really bad to me <laughs> it is much better in the um colored version of the book i agree because you can actually like you can see actually what's going see on, what it is yeah. yeah yeah it doesn't look great i i understand what they're the effect they're going for but every time i see that i'm like man what is happening in this panel <laughs> so for issue 10 i only have like two things one is that it wasn't that clear when the bomb went off to me. Oh yeah, like it. it oh yeah, you fire. know what? I didn't even realize it was a bomb. I thought somebody set the fire. 
Yeah, exactly. So that's the thing is like, I was going through and I see the fire and I'm like, wait a minute, did it ever show what started the fire? So then I go back again and then someone, well, I continue reading. It says something about a bomb. So then I go back and then I see that the sound effect is foom that comes from the ceiling. And that's when the bomb went off. I completely missed it. Uh, And, you know, that's when the ninjas come down after the bomb goes off uh, into April's shop. So that wasn't super clear. And it took me having to, like, read that there was a bomb and see the fire to, like, go back and be like, okay, when did this happen? And then I see, I read the foom and realized, okay, this is when the bomb went off. Yeah, that's a confusing sequence. I think another confusing sequence is the, the stairs. When like Michelangelo's pounding to make it sound like they're walking down the stairs and then the foot come from beneath the stairs. Uh-huh. I, I think that's confusing. And I think, yeah, that bomb thing is just like you have to like retroactively figure out that it's a bomb. It it is very confusing. And it would it would have been really easy to show like some foot soldiers preparing a bomb of some sort yeah. and blowing it up and jumping through. But yeah, it, it kind of comes out of nowhere. It's it's confusing to figure out what's going on. Yeah, the stairs one didn't bother me, but yeah, the bomb one confused me. And my last anchovies is a super teeny tiny eensy weensy one that really didn't ruin the issue at all. But there's a frog at the end in in winter. Oh, I know. In the snow. <laughs> <laughs> Frogs yeah. in the winter don't exist. All right. Oh, that totally hopped right by me. <laughs> oh. It, it, I mean, it did by me too. And then I read peter laird pointing it out in <laughs> the commentary at the end and was like oh wow <laughs> the frog in the snow so i thought i'd bring it up it's just funny i'm just amazed that one of my anchovies with this is that casey kind of out ninjas the ninjas like and he did this in Raphael as well he like jumps in the bushes and hides from Raphael, and he's like a master of stealth and i don't know where he got that skill i feel it, like i feel like for casey like that's more just kind of him being this wild and feral beast of a man <laughs> <laughs> and that like the the nin, the foot ninja are kind of reacting like honorably mm. i mean even though they're like you know ninja assassins they're 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 not thinking like a wild man. Yeah, I mean, they're not Casey's... looking for the guy with a sheet over his head. In the yeah, corner. like they're not looking yeah. for the guy in the sheet over his head. Um, but they're he's just coming at them so wildly that they're they're not they don't know how to react to it. Yeah, yeah I think it's that whole thing of just like Casey is unexpected. Period. Mm-hmm. Like he just as a person. I think everything he does is unexpected. He's a street fighter. You know, he, he just beats people with baseball bats. I just don't think anyone can be ready for him. Yeah. <laughs> he, he defies convention. And in fact, he defies convention so much that the title of this issue is Silent Partner. And the first thing he does is jump and scream Goongala Goongala. Yeah. He just, he's just like Goongala Goongala Zunga Zunga. Yeah. <laughs> he can't contain the case, man not and then if do you guys have anything else for issue 10 honestly i mean i'm all done with my anchovies these were these were really great issues yeah and my own my only real problem was leo number uh, the leo number one issue Mm -hmm. my one last thing is with issue 11 
this is the fact that april's journal entries are written in cursive and sometimes okay you know what all right (laughs) i got one more yeah that's that's it was really hard to read and some of that's just because people don't use cursive anymore (laughs) and so i struggle with it you know i only like learned how to write in it in like third grade and then never touched cursive again oh yeah use it to sign the credit card bill and that's it yeah Apparently, the comic Moonshadow was the inspiration I, for that. I, yeah, I don't know so what I that is. Yeah, I don't so either. Turtlepedia uh, mentions that the, the diary cursive writing was strongly inspired by the John Moots comic series Moonshadow, huh. which I've never heard about, but it was a comic series running from 1985 to 1987. Well, I'm kind of interested in it because I do really like the change of pace that uh, happens in that in that issue. But maybe we should talk about that in our next segment. I got I one quick answer. Oh, sorry, that. sorry. Never mind. We'll get our next no segment. Problem. What what has Splinter been up to during issue eleven? Like we don't see what how he's taken the the feet or anything. He just shows up at the end. He's like, "All right, we're done moping around. Start marching in the fields and get your." spirits back up but we don't know how he handles it which is my only anchovy oh yeah he's probably just been meditating to be honest i didn't even notice he was gone (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's probably probably just been meditating that's 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 probably right yeah just sitting in a room meditating for months that's you know (laughs) just just meditating processing it yeah you know when you're on his level that's all you got to do so now let's talk about what we love, Spencer. All right, all right now we'll talk about what we love. <laughs> Jeez, man, after the transition and everything. <laughs> I love being a turtle! Leonardo number one, the action is super clear. Like, you know what's going on from panel to between panel. Mm-hmm. It flows. I love it. I love the ambition in, like, writing a wordless action comic for the most part, you know, except for what's going on back at the apartment. And in my opinion, they executed it successfully. Yeah, for my, I love being a turtle for Leo number one. I have just written down everything. Yeah. So good. And below that, I have a little sub note that's Leo cuts one of the snowballs in half as it's thrown at him. I I hadn't noticed that detail before, but he does manage to get one of them cut in half. The other one gets in his eyes, but man, it's such a good issue. I love it. If I had a katana, I would be cutting snowballs in half. <laughs> I I also, yeah, I love the irony of some of the things that the Ninja Turtles say at home versus like what's going on with Leonardo outside, uh, you know, singing like good King Wenceslas uh, and how the lyrics really contrast with, you know, him being out in the snow fighting Foot Ninja. Right. Like it's, it's a lot of fun that way. Uh, with a lot of the irony, and like I said before, the irony that it uh, plays contrasting the two as they go on. Mike, what do you love about this? I, you know, I kind of mentioned it. Like, I just I love these these three issues as a whole. Like, yeah, it. it I, I don't, it's really hard for me to to kind of break down specific things I like about it because, like, I I really like Leo dodging and fighting the the foot ninja throughout the city like that whole like that really kind of kept me kept me on edge i think that that was it's different than the way like it it was portrayed in the movie with raf you know getting outnumbered by the ninjas like it 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 plays differently than that 
And it was really kind of cool to see Leo doing this on his own. Yeah. No, I, I, it took me a long time to like really think and process. Cause I have that same issue of like, man, I just holistically love these three yeah. books. They like, you can feel the excitement building up in you as you read them. Yeah. Uh, it makes you feel things. They're really well-written issues. And I think it's because of the pacing that Kevin Eastman does uh, and, and, you know, his layouts uh, with it. Yes. Issue 12 survivalists is on there. Yeah. All right. I got, I got to play with this some more. So I totally derailed. You're good. <laughs> derailed yeah, that you're conversation. Fine. So issue 11, are we good to go to there? Yeah. So I feel like I always start and steal something. So someone else start. I loved that. We saw the scene, the scene from the movie, you know, where in, in the book it's Raph and Casey, but the going back and forth with the, with insulting each other. So we got gag face. Uh huh. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. No, they took that right out of the comic book. Like I said, they handed this to Steve Barron and were like, make this a movie. Yeah. And it's a, you know, it made forever good movie. Yeah. I also just love the journey entry style of, of this. I like that whole thing that's going on with April writing. It's just a cool change of pace that brings more sentiment to the issue and in my opinion just makes it way more powerful as you get to see these characters heal after being damaged i did like how they did it in the movie a little bit better with the with her drawing Mm -hmm. rather than writing journal entries but i mean that makes sense for the movie and makes sense for the comic that she'd be just writing a journal Mm -hmm. yeah just wish it wasn't in cursive (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I just really like the theme of like finding healing by, you know, finally looking outside yourself and and reaching out to, you know, your family and the people around you and getting closer to them. And that's how you finally move past, uh, you know, what's been bothering you uh, through, you know, all your struggles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great issue. And it, it's like an ending that doesn't reset everything back to where it was. I think yeah. that's why it works so well. You know, they've they've gone through something really traumatic and, and they do not just gonna be able to go back to what they had before. Yeah. Well, that's, what's, that's, what's so cool about it is in the commentary Eastman and well, Eastman says that they, he want, they wanted to take the turtles somewhere besides New York because every superhero was in New York and they felt like they kind of had to do that when they first started because of that. Mm-hmm. And they finally wanted to bring their characters to a new place and they wanted to switch things up and, and do something different from what was going on. One of these days, I'd love to visit Northampton just to see what it's about, you know? Me too. Like, it's just such an integral part of Ninja Turtles now, as well as I want to, like, hunt down the vacant lot where the house where Ninja Turtles was created once stood <laughs> and take a picture in front of this vacant yeah. lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what do we have to do to, like, turn that into a memorial? That's a good question. Um, I'm sure we could contact like the. I mean, who owns the house first? Well, it's a vacant think... lot right now because the house. Oh, was that's, torn right, down. that's right. It's a vacant lot. So maybe we contact like the the chamber of commerce and and go from there. I don't know. I I feel like you know enough momentum behind this, enough uh, podcasters across the United States contacting people to be like, hey, 
put a plaque on this vacant lot for all of us. Yeah. It is a historical landmark. Darn Build it. a museum is... here. Yeah. Oh man, that'd be awesome. Oh, a museum of Ninja Turtles. That would be incredible. Yeah. I would go there and weep <laughs> on a pilgrimage. Right. You need nothing but pizza. <laughs> Ironically, the food court there would not serve pizza. Right. Or even worse, it would have like the really fancy high-end pizza, but oh. not like jelly bean pizza, right? That would just make everybody sad. Yeah. Man, what a run of issues. Mike, I'm glad you got to read these for the first time. Yeah, honestly, mm-hmm. like I'm really I'm really glad I was able to to do this because it, it was such a treat reading these three issues and having kind of the hindsight that I have, like of these directly inspiring the movie. Like it, it was really, like I said, like I said at the top, like I knew about these issues through osmosis, like just pop mm-hmm. culture I've absorbed over 35 years. So it was really kind of cool to have the full context of these things. Yeah. And, and then learning a couple new things like like Casey's middle name and you know or at the time Casey's middle name yeah. and then like that it was his grand that he was his family's house not April's which I think this is the only time it's ever Casey's family like I think 2003 it's it's April's family IDW it's April's family I think 2003 it's Casey's because his grandma comes to visit yeah it is oh oh it oh it is directly yeah. okay mm-hmm. and they All right, never they mind. have the they have the cousin Sid episode too. But. All right. Well, in IDW, it's April's family. Right. Yeah. And in most most times, it's April's uh, farmhouse. Yeah. I think even in two thousand in two thousand twelve, it's yeah two thousand. Whose family? It's April's. Family it is. It's April's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same with the IDW series. It's only Casey's in Mirage in two thousand three. Like. These three comics are like the ones I think of when I think of Mirage comics, but I don't know that like I would start someone with these necessarily because I think it works so much better as like, you know, the the lead up, the build up to it is. Oh, absolutely. It works so much better because of that. I mean, like these are like, yes, these are peak Ninja Turtles, but it's also like these build off of the first couple issues Mm -hmm. too, like. Because yep. as we learn, as we learn, like this isn't the real Shredder. Mm-hmm. Spoiler yeah. alert, guys! Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like we learn that like this isn't the real Shredder, and kind of, kind of the whole like revelation of like Leo saying like, "Ah, oh, he's back, the Shredder." Like you don't get that if you don't read the first issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, not only do you have to for sure read issue one. But if you don't read the other issues, you don't have that period where the shredder isn't there. Yeah, exactly. You know, they, they're yeah. they're going on living life, and then he comes back and like yeah, it's like that's why it's, it's such a huge thing that the foot are all attacking because like yeah, like they've kind of dabbled with the foot a little bit, but they the fact the foot haven't really made a huge appearance since the first couple issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's definitely way more potent if you've been reading along in the story. Also, another thing I noticed, uh, it's been a while since the turtles have killed anybody. Yeah. For all the all, all the people say that the Mirage run was super gory and gritty and bloody. Yeah, no, it, they definitely I noticed that this issue too. There's a they're not really stabbing anyone. Uh 
none of that's really in there. It will come back for Return to New York, but it's not really, it's not really in this issue in these yeah. issues. It's a lot of a lot of punching, a lot of hitting, but not mm-hmm. not a yeah. So yeah, they're because they're trying to get out. Not they're not trying to win. They're just trying to get out. Yeah, well, I mean, but we've seen them. We've seen them kill dudes in self defense, and like yeah. this is this is a hundred percent a self defense situation. Yeah, but I think they're but they're not doing it. Yeah, I think some of it's because they didn't have their weapons on them, like Leo and Leonardo did. But well, I guess not because no, they. I mean, get Raph, them. Has they Raph has his. Raph has his. his. Yeah, they do get them. Mike's got his, but he's too busy like throwing a couch on dudes to use them. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, he does pull out his nunchucks later. So yeah, yeah, but like Leo, Leo never stabs anybody. Yeah, like, or like slices them through like he did, like he did earlier. So mm-hmm. I feel like that was a conscious choice by Kevin and Peter to kind of scoot away from that. Yeah, I think I think they were toning it down, especially with the cartoon coming out and uh, at the, around that time. Yeah, uh, with all you the know, licensing like, and merchandising. Yeah. Every pendulum swings two ways. So when we get to return to New York, like that's a that's an aggressive storyline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very aggressive. I can't re- can't wait to read those. I actually do have those issues. Um, I found them at a comic con, and I do not like the comic con, but like a smaller one around here. Uh-huh. And uh, I was talking to the the guy for like a long time, and he. Um, we were just talking about Ninja Turtles and it, like I was thumbing through his long boxes and he uh, had like all of Return, Return to New York, or uh, not Return to New York, sorry, City of War. Mm, yeah. And so I bought the whole arc. Nice. Sorry, that was another <laughs> tangent. It's a fun, fun tangent. I'm good to listen to it. Yeah. Let's just talk about City of War right now. Like, yeah. That's right, a good we'll one too. Ahead. Yeah. We'll skip right over Return to New York and all of the Northampton stuff and right into it yeah. uh, <laughs> we've still got a ways to go before oh yeah <laughs> oh man that's yeah that's like 50 issues away that's crazy yeah well i mean that is there is a whole guest era in between true yes. yeah. and i i have chopped out some of the guest era yeah. there's stuff that doesn't feel like it's in continuity that i do want to get back to later but i kind of have created my own faux continuity uh <laughs> that uh is things that I only as long subscribe as it, to real continuity here. None of this faux stuff. I mean, I just <laughs> it's this, kind of none based of this on head my... canon fanfic. <laughs> <laughs> Look, so essentially, if something doesn't feel like it completely disrupts the continuity with like a complete absolute tonal shift, or you know, there's no way I could squeeze this into the timeline, or it has just tons of continuity errors, I cut it out. That's essentially how it is so i tried to create a working story i wanted to keep like leatherhead 2 in there for example because something that happens in leatherhead 2 gets brought up in urban legends <laughs> in volume three yeah but it's hard to hard to squeeze like souls winter into the continuity when yes like, yeah <laughs> yeah like that's way different than what's or, going on here or the uh the head and mcweenie stuff oh so, spaced yeah. out yeah, yeah spaced out like that's Soul's Winter was the first Mirage book I ever read. Oh man! And, and I remember, I remember uh, finding it at my comic book store at the time, Pegasus Comics in Whittier, California. They're not there anymore, but, but ripped to them. I'm pouring uh, one out. Yep, pouring one out for Pegasus Comics. 
Um, so I found the issue. Uh, it was a couple bucks, and I was so excited, and I was like, "Oh, like finally a Mirage book! I've never, I had never seen one in person." I think I was like, I think it was twelve at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was me and my friend Bruno. We went. We it was it was his comic book store, and he was getting me to go there. Um, and I remember buying it immediately, taking it home, reading it, and not understanding what the hell was going on. And I was, and for years, I was just like, "This is what people liked." Oh yeah, yeah. It's... I feel like I could do the same thing right now. Like I, I could go read Souls Winter right now and be like, "What the hell is going on in this book?" <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. Years later, uh, last year actually, I finally uh, bought the the collected version because IDW just put it out in its own hardcover. Mm-hmm. And I, I read it and I still am like, wow. <laughs> yeah, it is different. It is way yeah. different. It's and it's a will... it's a very interesting story, but yeah, it is so different. Yeah. And we will definitely we will read it, but later. Well, should we talk about some news real quick? Yeah, let's get into it. All right. This is April O'Neill of Channel Six. So the only thing I have on the comic book end is that Jenica 2, number 5, comes out March 10th. So that'll be tomorrow, the day you're listening to this podcast. This book or an indeterminate amount of time in the past, depending on when you listen to this podcast. Or, or yeah, or an indeterminate <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you want to stick around for the news section, uh, <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast a little late, you can. I guess it's fun to know what we're talking about at the time. Maybe you get a smile out of uh, hearing us talk about things that happened already. Mm. I don't know. Message us in the future when you listen to this episode. So we know. So we know. Yeah. <laughs> we appreciate uh, it. In the toy front, uh, today looks like, not sure if it leaked or if it was officially released, but we got our first look at the NECA Loot Crate uh, Armagon figure in box two of series two TMNT crates. Um, and it just like we all thought, it's Armagon from Tournament Fighters. Uh, it's probably my most anticipated figure in the wave. Woo, Tournament Fighters. I love Tournament so, Fighters. Me too. I love Armagon. This is the only box I got from that series. Oh, the Super the Super Nintendo one? Yeah. The only the only crate I got was the one with Armagon. Nice, just, nice. I, I, I'm in for anytime, all four. I got to get that scrag. <laughs> I gotta get this, Greg. They have released the uh, Scrag, haven't they? they? What? They have released images of Scrag, haven't they? They did. You can mm-hmm. find those on our Facebook page right now. All right. Yeah, I, we shared it a little while ago. I wrongly said that it was in the <laughs> uh, the loot crate because that's okay. I caught it immediately, and then Mike fixed it, and it's so... because I just am not. I'm not good at keeping <laughs> That's up. That's okay. You're not a toys. toy guy. It's fine. Yeah. But now I'm excited for these. I'm excited for these new crates. I'm I'm all in on them. On them. Uh, Dark Dawn the Dark is probably my least favorite one. That's the next uh, Toon Turtle in uh, box. Uh, that's the one I'm just. Eh. It's it's Donatello as a fake Batman, and I've already got the Mikey as Batman, and I love that figure. That's such a good figure. It really is. It's one of my favorites. It looks he's, really fun. He's so happy. Like I, I can't not smile when I look at I, him. I, I know. I'm looking at him right now, and he's just—he's so happy to be wearing it. 
That was such a good scene when he put it on. Yeah. <laughs> He's riding the T-Rex. Uh-oh. Mike, any word on the seven-inch NECA movie figure accessory pack? Uh, okay, so as of now, that is still shipping in quarter at the end of quarter one, quarter two, which we are coming up on oh, um, as we as we record this on March fourth. Uh, yeah, I'm I got the accessory pack too, and I can't wait for that. Um, <laughs> I so feel like I pre-ordered are... it like six months ago and like they have announced and released figures since then. So kind of annoying. the way that works, so the way it works is everything that we pre-ordered on NECA's website. So Toka and Razar, the Bebop and Rocksteady, Metalhead, um, Leatherhead and, and Slash, the accessory pack. All of those things that we pre-ordered directly from NECA were made to order. Okay. So none of those entered production until those orders closed. And, you know, we had a pandemic going on. You know, they, they got to they close those orders. We gotta, they got to tool everything, especially for the things that weren't already in production. Um, so a lot of that stuff had to be remade. And I, I get everybody's frustration, but also at the same time, like these weren't sitting in a factory getting ready to ship out to people. So I understand. Okay. All right. All right. We want to thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, We've had a lot of fun reading these issues and talking about them. Next week, we're going to be covering episodes 12 and 13 of season two in the 1987 Mirage series. We're going to be finishing off the season. And that's pretty exciting. Yeah, and then we get to dive right into all, what, 47 episodes of season three? Yeah, we're in it for the long haul. Yeah. To the end. Oh, yeah. It just gets us closer to Hokum Hair. mm -hmm. What (laughs) season's he in? Uh, God, don't put me on the spot like that. Oh, I'm sorry. I think it's season four. I do believe it is season four. Oh no, our fake fandom is showing. No, season five. <laughs> season, season five, five. the turtle Goodness. in the hair. All right, you can listen to that episode in 2024. Yeah, we'll get, <laughs> God, we'll get there soon. But yeah, it'll, it'll hair. be, yeah. When I did the math, it'll be like two years and then we'll finally have finished uh, the 87 series. Maybe okay. a little bit longer than that. Mike, I was I was looking up Hokum Hair, and apparently he appears in Rise as well. Not in the cartoon, but in the comic of Rise, there's a Hokum Hair character. What? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, I didn't know it either, but uh, apparently so, yeah. Huh. It's like a guy with a man bun that turns into a hair, and they call him Hokum at some point. So now you know. I need to find out about that because I did not know that. Wow, like two oh, of your favorite it, things. Oh, right there. Harvey Hokum. Okay. Yeah, I know it is. Okay. Okay. I don't know why that didn't even that didn't even register to me. Now does he, he doesn't show up in the cartoon though, right? It's, no, 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 no. He's not okay. in the cartoon. Um, he was only in the comic. Um, and they called him Man Bun. But Harvey Hokum was his human name. Oh, and then he mutates into a rabbit. And then Hokum he mutates hair. into a rabbit. That's why it didn't click with me. Well, there, there you go. go. Oh, One last... That's a fun Easter egg. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> man, you're full of them tonight, Mike. I, I'm telling you, man. <laughs> well, 
that's our last fun fact for our closer. (laughs) (laughs) Please uh, like, share uh, this podcast with your friends. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And I guess tap tapes as well, if you have one of those. You know, if you if you like using tap tapes. Yeah. Do we have an OnlyFans yet, Spencer? You know what? No. <laughs> but I was thinking, you know, maybe OnlyFans, just pictures of me reading Ninja Turtles. Fully right. clothed. <laughs> but guys, you can find us on our real social media over on Twitter and <laughs> Ninja Turtle PH, uh, Facebook, uh, and Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. So check us out. Not on OnlyFans and not in that way. <laughs> dig yourself out of that hole, Spencer. No, it's it's too funny of a hole <laughs> to dig myself out of. All right. Well, please tune in next week. We love hearing from you guys uh, on our socials. So talk to us. Listen to us. We love it. Give us five-star reviews and stuff. So... Until next time, cowabunga. Cowabunga. (laughs) Casey rules.